Hello, everyone, and welcome. You're listening to Cost of Good Soul. I'm your host, Jennifer Myers Chua, and this is episode number 13. This is Cost of Good Sold, a podcast about the environmental and social costs of the things we buy. In each episode, we explore topics like sustainability, innovation, social entrepreneurship, the circular economy, conscious consumerism, and how we can all affect change. Be inspired by thoughtful designers and responsible creators and curators using business to create positive impact. And listen to hear the stories of those taking on the world's biggest challenges and making meaningful contributions towards a better future. In today's episode, we chat with Alain Menard from the Green Beaver Company. We explore why Alain, a microbiologist, and his wife Karen, a biochemist, left their careers in the pharmaceutical and pesticide industries after deciding to start a family and being sidelined by a surprising diagnosis. We do a deep dive into the differences between natural and conventional sunscreens, antiperspirants, and toothpastes, learn what the differences are, why there's been recalls, and what the health impacts of our choices may be. And we learn why, after 20 years of revolutionizing the industry and engaging with his customers, Alain feels so hopeful for our future. This episode is brought to you by Hip Mummies, carefully curated wholesale merchandise for modern retail. If you want to stock your shelves with brands that are socially responsible and sustainable, or if you want to be a part of the collection that is delighting Canadian retail, visit hipmummies.ca. If you're a user of antiperspirants, take a look and see if yours has a warning label. If you bought it at the drugstore, chances are it has one with a warning about kidney disease. We'll go into why that's there in a bit. We'll also go into antiperspirants and aluminum. This is something you might have heard of. And there's been studies showing aluminum in the brains of patients with Alzheimer's. It's been linked to cancer. And it's a reason that a lot of people have switched their deodorants. Natural deodorants are kind of the gateway into natural personal care. And a lot of us know there may be things in our household products that we rather avoid. But natural products do not always work like we expect them to. And Alain and his team at the Green Beaver Company have been formulating products backed by a tremendous amount of scientific research. So while natural products are often unregulated, the Green Beaver Company is backed by science, certified with EcoCert, and working closely with Health Canada to create new and truly innovative products that work as good as conventional without causing harm. And over the last 20 years, Alain has seen a dramatic shift in consumer behavior. People are asking questions, they're looking for natural alternatives, and Alain has been a huge part of this shift. He's incredibly influential. Many of Green Beaver's products were first to market in their category, and ever advocates, the Green Beaver company has been fighting for transparency and regulation in the industry and strives to use the cleanest ingredients sourced locally. 
Ella lives in Hawkesbury, Ontario, near the Quebec-Ontario border, and is swear nearly 20 years ago that he started the Green Beaver Company with his wife, Karen. Ella had gotten into microbiology because of the science of food, making cheese, beer, that kind of stuff. And afterwards, he took this education into pharmaceuticals, working with antibiotics. He was spending his days in hospitals, meeting with doctors and pharmacists, telling them about new antibiotic products, how they worked, what the effectiveness was. And Karen was also a medical liaison, working with the latest studies, presenting data to healthcare professionals. And after a while, things began to change because they began to change. They both felt compelled to do something else. See, they had begun to talk about starting a family, trying to decide if they were ready, if it was the right time, trying to figure out where they could put a nursery. But once Karen really started considering having a child, she began to look into the chemicals they were using in their home because she was picturing her child crawling across a floor washed with conventional cleaners and putting their baby hands in their mouth. Was she okay with that, with what she knew about chemicals? So Alain and Karen began to take a hard look at everything within their home, cleaning products, personal care, and it was overwhelming. Everything is like... Artificial fragrance, chemical this for washing clothes, dishwashing, so you name it. Then you start getting into, oh, what exactly is in my shampoo or in my antiperspirant? Then it gets to be like, yeah, we were going a little bit uh, bonkers with this. And of course, with both our science background, I mean, and with a bit of more research, we kind of figured out what all these products had in them. And, is, and then you start thinking, this is our nest. We live here. We breed here. We eat here. You're, you're breeding the air. You're like, how can it be every week importing chemicals from the outside to bring into the inside and to spray it where I'm going to breed, eat, sleep? And then it's like, yeah, why do we do that? How did we get here? How did society did we get to do that? How did we get to like, Figure out, we can increase our yield of a crop by 30% by putting chemicals on it, the insecticides. Yeah, there'll be some left. We'll be eating a little bit of it, but it's not the end of the world. We'll be getting 30% more yield. Oh, my God. And I feel like if you look back 19 years ago when it was when we first introduced our products, the world has changed. There's a lot more knowledge about everything that's going on, about pollution climate change and everything. Karen was really grappling with her identity as a biochemist. She was working in pesticides during the day and then purging her home of chemicals on nights and weekends. It was like leading a double life and it was beginning to eat at her. So much so, she couldn't do it anymore and she quit. And by that time, already a portion of the kitchen counter was covered in mixers and beakers and equipment. And the two began to dabble in making products as a hobby. Something for Karen to focus on now that she was unemployed. An avid cook, she loved it, because making face cream is similar to making mayonnaise, Alain points out. They are both emulsions. And back in those days, there were not very many natural products available. The health food stores had a small selection, but natural products were much more difficult to find. So Alain began to experiment too, thinking he'd use his expertise to help formulate products on evenings and weekends and see where this leads to. But he had no plans on quitting his job. And by that time, oh boy, the house changed. It was, there wasn't any more chemicals in the house and making a lot of our own stuff. And 
went organic and as much as we could, let's be honest, because in those days it wasn't as much available as today. And yeah, we got into gardening. I remember that. Had our first garden around that time. But soon afterwards, Alain got a call that changed everything. So then I got a call from my sister. My oldest nephew, Miguel, was three years old and the twin boys a year and a half. So three boys under the age of three equates to very busy. Her entire... Anyway, she was very upset and uh, she sadly announced to me that she had just been dying also to a very advanced uh, breast cancer. And this is at 32 years old. I mean, come on. And I remember having discussions with Karen about all these chemicals. It starts from within our house, which we have control of. We're self-polluting ourselves. People think of pollution. They think of going outside, smelling smog and things like that. What about the, your own pollution that you create in the house with all these like air fresheners and things like that? Because with my sister, we did find out that it wasn't hereditary. So basically something clicked, something got the sales growing. And it's like, well, I don't believe it's like maybe one ingredient that's probably being exposed to multiple chemicals. Some of it you breathe through the air, some of it you're eating, whatever pesticide residue or... For worse, it's like all this artificial flavoring. Can we have real food anymore? Those are synthetic chemicals. Like everything else of these chemicals, something always comes out later. And then it's uh, what you read and we don't have all the same genetics and it will affect us more than others and at different concentrations and things like that. Roughly uh, a week after that, I decided to quit. And But I thought we had some products formulated to what we were using. And I said, well... Let's see, you know what? Let's come up with these products and we'll use those as a means to educate people that there are alternatives that is healthier for you, your family. And and at that time, we didn't think about the environment as much. It was mostly just for the people's health. So really, Green Beaver was not born with a business plan. Actually, I only wrote a business plan 15 years after we launched our first products. It was really born on a mission. We actually said, okay, let's make these products. We'll sell these products. Got to make enough to make a living because we only had so much savings and we had quit our pretty good jobs and all that stuff. So as long as we can do that, we'll use the products as a means to communicate our mission to help people live more natural, healthier lives. And later on, we added, and in a sustainable world. You had this background in science. You had this family you were starting and you had this complicated diagnosis with your sister. Yeah. And now you had this idea for a product, basically, for a brand. Yeah. How did you move this forward into creating an actual business? There was a reason in that thing, but still it was pretty bold. Starting out a family, good careers. I mean, wow, what were we thinking? Yes, we truly believed it, obviously. We were going to a health food store, went on the internet, started looking at, well, they sell natural products. So maybe if we came out with some products and we had bought some natural, natural personal care from, they were coming mostly from the States. There were, it wasn't that many there, but mostly from the States. Um, Canadian were not even heard of. And we said, okay, well, maybe we can start making our products and then we can go and deliver them to these stores and then they could sell our products for us. Most of the uh, products already there, and there were a few, but were mostly coming from the States. And then, uh, well, basically you went to your basement and you put up some shelves, right? And we were lucky because I did have uh, the help of my parents. My dad would come and help me label the order and sticks and things like that. We were watching hockey game or during the day. We'd be in the basement, but the wood stove going at that time, whatever. 
and Coco came around and her son, Joshua. First orders, I mean, it was just like one carton box with maybe five, six product inner boxes. And that was it. Little by little. And then consumer shows. Oh, we did so many consumer shows. I'll never forget the first one. I told Karen, we had a van and I said, okay, we loaded up the van. I mean, there wasn't a square inch left in that van. I said, we have to bring lots of products because this is going to be it. It. If I could have hooked up a trailer to the van, I would have hooked it up and I would have filled that one too. There was a Toronto woman show. I said, Karen, they said there's going to be 30,000 women. When we're going to tell them we have a deodorant without aluminum, I mean, they're going to line up and all natural and toothpaste with real flavors for their kids. I said, Karen, it's going to be crazy. It was a three-day show when I started Friday afternoon type thing. And I said, I don't think we'll have enough stuff to last till Saturday. End of day Saturday. But that's all we could bring. Oh my God, what a disaster. So I'm there and I have my new products and I'm thinking, man, they're going to jump all over this. And all I saw is I saw a bunch of deers all weekend. Like a deer when it looks into headlights. And when I was telling them, they would just look at me and I could tell they, they're not getting it. They don't get it. I said, that was a long trade show. Hardly sold anything. And all the other like boots were like major, like big cosmetic companies. And we had a little wood table and I kind of like very disappointed when I was thinking and thinking I couldn't stop. And I figured it out and I said, I remember saying to Karen, you know what? I think I know why. You know, when we say this is toothpaste with natural flavors and they look at you like, what? So like, oh, I, I said, Karen, this is what's going on in the world. Artificial flavors have become the norm. Natural flavor is almost a weird thing now because they're so used to the artificial. I said, I don't know how we got here. I guess these big companies with all their marketing and whatever, right? They pushed it at us. We, they liked it. And they can't get off it. You know what I mean? They all always think that natural is like, is like weird and is it safe? So I said, we're going to have to start way back, take a couple steps back in the education process because who, I didn't think it was that far back. In the beginning, the company was really founded on helping people make healthier decisions for mm -hmm. their health. Yes. And then sustainability and all that piece came later. I was wondering, do you have a moment that, that really stands out in your mind when sustainability became important to you? Triclosan. That got me really thinking. It's a chemical antibacterial agent and it's found like antibacterial soaps and it was even in toothpaste. And, and then studies started coming out showing that the triclosan, they could find it in the, the sewage, right? And then they could find it in the Ottawa River and Lake Ontario, Pacific Ocean near Vancouver. Why? Well, first of all, it's very persistent. It's not, doesn't biodegrade very easily, right? So they could see that, hey, this stuff is like everywhere. And the study came out and then a few after came out that validated that first study that showed that it was actually like having an effect on aquatic uh, animals. So it was killing uh, frogs and uh, all kinds of nasty stuff because they could find the triclosan in them and things like that. So then you start thinking and not many people think about it. I didn't before that. I don't think so. If you were to just think tomorrow morning, Montreal, Toronto, Vancouver, all the big 
big cities across Canada, right? How many liters of shampoos and shower gels and conditioners and, and laundry detergent, dishwashing uh, detergent that's going to go through the system and then end up in our river, rivers and lakes day after day? It's horrible. And then the worst thing is, it makes me think of like uh, when they use uh, pesticides on food that we eat. You throw it out in the water, then you know what? You can bring it back in to drink. You're polluting your water source. Now, is that, is that, you bring aliens here. I don't <laughs> think they are aliens. You know, maybe have superior intelligence than us. They would look at us and say, those are the most stupidest animals I've ever seen. They're contaminating their food source and their water source and the land that they need to grow the, the, their food source. Like, they're really not too intelligent. Yeah, Think what are we like, thinking? What? Exactly. Just because we always did it that way and so far, doesn't mean we can't change. So triclosan, yeah, that, that was the, the first one. FDA actually banned it in the States. There's no more triclosan in products in the States. If you come to Canada, uh, Health Canada reduced the amount that is allowed in products, but they didn't actually ban it. So that was horrible. You commented earlier that this is becoming more top of mind for a lot of people. I'm curious how you did that because you were a pioneer in this space. You really are. I mean, I was using your shampoo in 2006 or something like this is you are a person that really significantly impacted how Canadians feel about these products. I would love to know what you did to really create change here. Like, I'm assuming your background in science maybe gave you a unique advantage in communication, but how did you break through to meeting consumers where they're only beginning to understand that natural is important? We were doing mostly like grassroots stuff, right? So our impact would have been kind of limited, but with other companies getting on board. There are groups like the Environmental Defense and a bunch of scientists there that really started going after the chemicals and showing everybody the proof. It's when the scientists got more together. It used to be the scientists would be like on the other side, proving that the chemicals were safe. Those, those are the people that have the knowledge. They can see through it. And then there started to be a shift. So some of those minds went into places like Environmental Defense or whatnot and started working for the good side, the natural side. I see it as a good side. And I think that was probably where it started, started getting a little bit of traction. And these were credible people talking about real studies, real results, real research. And then I hate to say it, but I think that this whole like climate change actually accelerated it because by showing people that our CO2 emission can actually affect the weather. I remember way the baby, a lot of people were skeptical about all of that. But even there were scientists saying, they were saying, no, it's not true. It took a long time. Because the onus usually it's always in science, it's always um, the proof that it's not, rather than prove that it does. It's a safer way of doing it, I guess, but it takes more time. And you know what also? Now that I think back, over the years, it's when you had like all of a sudden a product recall. It's like all of a sudden the FDA decides they're banning triclosan, not to be used ever on the American soil because they realize that all the stuff and these soaps and things like that is damaging the, the environment. If Health Canada banned some ingredient, ingredients as well, before the companies would say, well, no, it, it is safe. This chemical is safe because it's approved by Health Canada. 
They approved it on whatever data they had at that time. Who presented the data? <laughs> Who prepared the data? A little bit of a uh, yes, conflict of interest there. Yeah. And then you had things like finally it was proven that the baby powder containing PAC caused cancers, ovarian cancers. And that company's being sued before it right now. Prove it in court that they were guilty, that they had some knowledge of it. That's horrible. Uh, it's just like recently, two weeks ago, all of a sudden you have this major big uh, brand uh, company that they're recalling all of their sunscreen because mm -hmm. they, they, they've figured out that it contains benzene, which is cancer causing. And this is happening as we speak right now. These products are being pulled off the shelves. And it's all of this stuff coming out. And then people say, well, wait a minute. You say it's safe. The researchers showed that it's safe. Yeah, but you should see the protocols. It's like pesticides. They have to be tested, obviously. When, when they're tested, they're tested in, they don't go out and test it in, in plots outside when it's like super windy. It's very calm. And the farmers are supposed to uh, only apply like pesticide when it's not windy. But, you know, when you only have so many days to spread, you have so many acres, you're in a hurry. I remember once jogging, I could, I could taste like something metal and like metal in your mouth. And I looked over and they were spraying and it was getting the wind. So I was breathing in all the pesticides. It's like, my God, they don't, they're not being used like they're supposed to be used for whatever reason. I'm not accusing the people, but it's just the way it is. I'd love to talk to you a little bit more about these recalls because on Hit Mommy's Instagram, for example, we share information with our followers a lot about these recalls. There's been a lot of conversation about the sunscreen recall. And I've heard so many different opinions about this, but we always advocate for these natural mineral-based sunscreens regardless. So I was wondering, since your sunscreen is one of the best sellers in Canada, especially for children, and it is mineral-based, can you explain a little bit more about what that means and, and the safety around sunscreen in terms of health and environment? Well, conventional sunscreen, the ones made with the chemicals, have been having a hard time. Uh, if you look back in the last four or five years, right now, it started out with studies coming out that showed that the active ingredients in sunscreen actually do uh, cross the uh, skin. That's the active uh, chemicals, right? And uh, these are simple studies and they've been done and redone and redone. It's proven every time. After a single use of these chemical sunscreen, studies have shown that they found them in urine and blood and breast milk. They get right through your, your skin and get right into your, your system and just goes everywhere. Again, they were saying, yeah, yeah, but it's uh, such a small amount, it's safe. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that and I hate that answer. Uh, so they were getting a bad rap because they were scared, but they use their PR to convince the people, reassure people that, but it's, it's okay, it's still safe. And then a couple of years ago, there was a big recall in one of the big brands. Kids' skins were all like burning. It had nothing to do with the active ingredient on that one because of artificial fragrance. They had started using an art, a new artificial fragrance and it just burned the kids' skin. And you can still uh, find that information on CBC. Actually, and then two years ago, this was a shocker. Uh, I knew I've seen studies that, but it was, I had a hard time believing it, but more research was done and actually it was proven. They were finding out small, small amount of chemical sunscreen on people when they go swimming in the coral reef, where people were going to swim, the coral reefs were dying. And they made the link. They found the chemical from the sunscreen, very small amount, but in the coral. They did studies and they showed that, yeah, it could kill it. So 
Actually, Hawaii, the state of Hawaii, who depend a lot on tourism and they like to have their coral because that attracts people too, have banned the use of chemical sunscreen. They only allow the use of mineral sunscreen. Isn't that unbelievable to say that they banned it? Didn't fall two weeks ago, the benzene issue. It's like, okay, enough is enough. People, there are great natural mineral sunscreens out there. Safe for you, effective. They go through the same testing as they do for their efficacy as the chemical ones. And it's all submitted to Health Canada. They have to review it. Isn't there enough bad stuff known about chemical sunscreen? If you're enjoying this podcast, please consider taking the time to rate and review it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. It helps us spread the word about the project and about brands that are truly making a difference. On to the show. If you haven't made that switch yet, if you haven't tried mineral sunscreen, what exactly is the difference? That's the active ingredients. So basically, instead of using the avobenzone and all those type of chemicals that, that act as an active ingredient in the sunscreen, you're basically using a mineral powder. So it's basically a zinc oxide or titanium dioxide. It's also an active ingredient, but it's also for blocking the rays, but it's also a counter irritant that takes away a skin rash. So basically the way that these minerals work is basically they block it. The rays just bounce off them. It's pretty simple. So in your time making sunscreen, for example, you've noticed all of these issues with conventional sunscreens and some of the chemicals that are getting through testing and making it onto store shelves. When did you realize that conventional baby care products may be less than ideal? What's going on in conventional baby products that we need to be aware of? If you look at baby products, a baby shampoo or an adult shampoo, I mean, uh, they're all made of the same components. You need a surfactant, which is a soap component. You need a texturizer so it doesn't come out so liquidy that comes out of the bottle too quick. You need a preservative. There is a pediatrician in the States that did a really simple study just to prove one thing. She knew that, for example, the lavender go-to-bed baby uh, lotion or whatever is soothing and everything. But you know what? The majority of conventional products that say it's lavender do not contain lavender, right? I don't know why they're allowed to say lavender. They should say lavender scent. And she knew that, so basically all these products contain artificial fragrances. And she knew that an artificial fragrance is not one ingredient. Uh, On average, it's 14 different chemicals put together. Yeah. And because it's proprietary information, uh, companies do not have to reveal what is in that fragrance. Just that fact scares me. Because that's kept up now to put whatever you want. You just have to basically sign an affidavit that it's safe for the government. But I think that's not enough, personally. But one of the chemicals that, they, that the majority of these artificial fragrances contain is called the phthalates. Kind of a funny word. It's even hard to pronounce. They actually uh, prolong the duration of a scent, intensifies it, and prolongs it. You saw an ad on TV not too long ago where one of these air fresheners, it's like, uh, it's good for like uh, seven days. And I thought, oh my God, you're going to put that in your house and it's going to stick around for seven days. So anyways, that's what these phthalates do. And so like, for example, if you were to put a lavender essential oil on your t-shirt, 
and a lavender artificial fragrance with phthalates in it on another t-shirt. Put them away in your laundry room, whatever, for a week. You bring both out. I can guarantee you the lavender t-shirt won't smell like lavender anymore. The lavender artificial fragrance still will. Those are the phthalates at work. There's many different types of phthalates. It's a class of chemicals. And this pediatrician knew that phthalates were suspected endocrine disruptors. Some of it will call them xenoestrogen or whatever. What it is, is that basically it's a chemical that gets into your system. People say, uh, what do you mean? I just putting out, I'm just putting this stuff on my skin. I'm not eating it. And then uh, a lot of the chemicals, not all, but a lot of the chemicals in these products actually get through your skin. And they don't just sit there underneath your skin forever. No, they get picked up in your blood system. And then here we go. Let's go for a ride. We'll grow through this organ. We'll go through this organ. We'll go through the brain. We'll go through the liver. The liver, that's when a lot of times it's, uh, it, it gets broken down. And unfortunately, some of these chemicals, they're kind of shaped like some of our hormones. There's like a key and they fit only in certain area on receptors, cell receptors. So you have a chemical that resembles a hormone that you have and it creates a hormonal imbalance. So all of a sudden, there's too many of these hormones clicking all of these receptors at the same time. And that's when it can cause serious illness leading up to cancer. Hormones are very, very powerful. Small amount of difference can change a body like you wouldn't believe, right? So they're called xenoestrogen. And so she was concerned. She was concerned that she knew that parents would uh, wash their baby every day with these artificial fragrance, uh, put some lotions on, and she was concerned. So it was a really pretty simple study. When you think about it, she collected urine from 268 babies across uh, the country in the States because she wanted regional representation and all that stuff. So you take the urine and you just send it out to an analytical lab and you, you just see it's phthalates in the, in the baby's urine. And babies, don't forget, they're growing hormones. <laughs> you have growing organs, even more susceptible to a hormonal uh, imbalance. And unfortunately, what they found was that 100% of the babies tested had phthalates in their urine. 100%. I mean, that's horrible. We're poisoning our children. And then you're wondering, little Johnny can't concentrate anymore. Yeah, I know, but he's indirectly being drugged with all these chemical hormones. And the parents don't even know they're doing it. Can concentrate. Oh, and then, yeah, of course. Okay, well, let's, let's give him some pills. There's no end to it. I'm not advocating that uh, people should just stay away from medication. We have an illness. It's an illness. It's different. But what led to the illness? That's the problem with modern uh, medicine today. Is we're, it's very good at bandaging things. You have uh, this disease here. You have this symptom. Okay, here's a medication to take care of that symptom. Well, maybe why do I have that symptom? Something else that you've really revolutionized, really, is both toothpaste and antiperspirant. And I know you've won some awards and you've gotten a lot of Canadian press about your antiperspirant and your toothpaste. But why did you choose antiperspirant and toothpaste and what makes yours so revolutionary? They don't need preservatives. The water activity, I mean, the amount of water that's available for microorganism to grow in that type of product. Is very low and there's humectants in there. So they basically, they take the water, they don't give it away. 
nowadays we have all kinds of natural preservatives that we can use that you can eat. Back then it was tough. It was tough finding them. It was a big challenge. But also at the same time, toothpaste, we thought, well, you know what? Maybe people will get it more because they're putting it in their mouth. Most people now know that your skin can absorb stuff. There are probably still some awareness to be done there. But back then, no, people didn't even think about it. So I said, well, okay. And the adornment, well, I always had a big hunch and it's been proven now. It's the aluminum and those antiperspirant. For years, the companies always said, oh, no, it's, uh, it's safe. It doesn't cross your skin. They always said it. He said, it just gets in your sweat pores and creates a plug. And eventually the plug falls out. When it plugs, it plugs your sweat pores. Well, sweat can't come out of it. And people have to understand, it's not just like aluminum, pure aluminum that they dig up from the earth. No, no, it's chemically treated aluminum. Aluminum chlorohydrate, aluminum zirconium. It's not as if like those exist in nature. <laughs> no, it's man-made, partly with a partly natural element. I laughed the other day. I saw a company come up with uh, an antiperspirant with aluminum, but they said, yeah, but it's made with recycled aluminum. <laughs> it's like, okay, what about the people's health? That doesn't, uh, that doesn't change anything. And studies have shown that it's, uh, those chemically treated aluminums were potential endocrine uh, disruptor or cancer-causing, if you want, ultimately. And studies have shown that there were, they did find some of this aluminum in, in the breast tissue that was uh, metastasized, so cancer or tumor. And it's like, okay, there is a smoking gun, but the industry still said, no, no, it's impossible. It must be coming from somewhere else because it can't get through. Mm-hmm. Further studies have been done by using an isotope, and they added an isotope to the aluminum so they could actually trace it. If they take a blood sample, they find the aluminum, they'll know it's the aluminum that actually came from there. So first study showed that, uh, yes, the, the, it does cross the skin. It's a pretty complex uh, study to do. Sounds simple, but it's not. And then they even uh, tested on people that had just shaved. They call it damaged skin. If you apply it right after uh, damaged skin, you get six-fold more absorption of aluminum from the aluminum stick. And people maybe don't know this too, but a typical antiperspirant contains anywhere between 15 up to uh, 25% pure refined aluminum. That's a lot. That's a lot. So when those studies came out, and now you're seeing it on shelves in Canada, now the companies were a little bit scared because they've been going on saying, say, it doesn't get through your skin. So the first thing they did, or the FDA forced them to do it, is add a new warning to their, to their antiperspirant stick, to the label. And it's in the back of the label. I would encourage people to read it. In Canada, it's not mandatory. In the States, it is. But most companies in Canada will actually add the warning because most of them are American companies anyhow, mm-hmm. and they don't want to get sued. So it says, if... If you have kidney disease, to ask your doctor before using this product. Why? Renal disease, kidney disease. Because this aluminum is getting through your skin and getting into your body. But it's circulating everywhere. And if you have renal uh, disease, you need your kidneys to get rid of the aluminum. It gets filtered out of your blood so that you can get it out of your body. But people with kidney disease, they can't get rid of the aluminum fast enough. They can get to a toxic level of aluminum and have serious damage. 
And studies have shown you think of the aluminum and antiperspirants, you'll think about the breast cancer. You'll think about the uh, Alzheimer because there was a study showing that they scanned the people's brain that had Alzheimer versus people who didn't in that they, same age group. And there was a significant difference of, of aluminum in people without Alzheimer's brain. So it does cross the blood brain barrier. Right. So how long will this be allowed to continue? I hope not for long. And they started adding those type of warning. It's like an admission, right? So it's just a question of time. I think the smoking gun is there for the breast cancer late. It's just a question of time. Natural deodorants have had a bad rap that they don't work. What did you do? What is the difference with yours? How, why does yours work? There's deodorants and then there's antiperspirants, right? So we've had deodorants for all, for 19 years, right? And we introduced an aluminum-free antiperspirant uh, a couple of years ago, and I'll come back to that one. But first, we, we looked at the smell. Why people wear deodorant? It's for the smell. Deodorant will not stop you from sweating. Only aluminum-based antiperspirant could do that because the aluminum goes into the plug, the sweat pores and, and creates this metal plug. And we thought, well, okay, because when you look at the composition of sweat, you now people say, oh, I'm sweating, I stink. Yeah, but the sweat doesn't smell. It's almost odorless. Of course, it's mostly water, but you do have some stuff coming out, depending on what you ate, whatever. But what causes the smell, actually, your armpits, armpits are full of bacteria, moles, and yeast. It's quite disgusting. Actually, and then, so what happens is that when you sweat, you're feeding them. That's their food. They love moist areas. So then when they get that moisture and they get the, the, some nutrients, they start multiplying. And when they multiply, they create byproducts. And that's what smells. There's some very specific bacteria. One of them is called... Um, Cyanobacter, something, I forgot the name, but it's actually used in, to make cheese. You know, one of those stinky cheese. So the next time you smell a stinky cheese, you'll see it smells a little bit like armpits. Well, I'm sorry, I don't want to ruin everybody's uh, love for cheese there, but just by the way. We focused mostly on the antibacterial part of the deodorant. Because we knew if we could put in there enough antibacterial agents, natural, of course, the less bacteria you have, the or microorganism, the less byproducts you're going to produce when you're feeding it water. Basically, that's the whole concept. So we, we really focused very hard on that. And that was my specialty. So it was just a given. It was, okay, let me play with some antibacterial stuff. I think it's important to sweat, personally. I do. I think it, some people say, oh, well, you get, that's how you get rid of a lot of toxins. No, you get rid of a little bit of toxins, yes. But the majority of your toxins, you get rid of it through your urine and feces. It's a natural thing to do. And maybe there's other things we don't understand, but there are times when you don't want to sweat. I don't know, you're at a wedding, big presentation, whatever. So that's why people, a lot of people would still continue using antiperspirant. The ordinance had a bad rap for quite a long time. Most of them weren't that good, to be honest with you. The old, the old ordinance, all they used to be is just heavily perfume. So that when you put it, hopefully that perfume would be stronger than your own perfume. And then the antibacterial, people started working more, more antibacterial active ingredients that greatly improved the efficacy. But then people are still sweating though. That's the thing. So I thought about it. Well, if we could make something to replace the aluminum, but that was safe. I didn't want to have something so small that it could get into a sweat for. And so I thought, well, what if we did like a surface block? temporary surface block for those people who don't want to sweat. And so that's when we thought of wax. Wax. 
Yeah, actually, the idea came, we were working on the sunscreen and we used wax as a, for the natural waterproofing, right? Instead of using a silicone. Uh, that's another bad one. It's just like Dragozan. That's going to come out just pushing the time. And we do the first test. We just do it qualitative. So you put it on your back of your hand and I call it the, the faucet test. You put your hand underneath the, the water. If you see, you look at, see if the water pearls and they do big pearls or small pearls. It gives you an indication that it's going to work. We're allowed to say sweat resistant on our sunscreen. So I thought, okay, it's water resistant, but it's also sweat resistant. So we started working with the wax, but uh, it wasn't working. Your skin is not smooth. It's like a Grand Canyon. It's like full of crevices. And so I use part of wax as esters. The definition of ester means part of. So you have all these long fatty acid chains there. So you just cut and use a little piece of the wax so they can get down in the Grand Canyon. So it does like a, a film. It's a surface film. It doesn't get into your pores. It's too big. So finally, we did a study head-to-head -head, um, versus the conventional brands with aluminum. It was done in a specialized lab on people. So we actually tested it to see if it, if it prevented the sweating. And we showed that it was just as effective. Finally, we have something just as effective for the sweating. We had something for the smell, but now we have something for the sweating and the smell, obviously. So yeah, that was a big accomplishment. That was one of our biggest one, honestly, there. It's a, it's a big one. We've been making toothpaste for 19 years. So we weren't allowed to say anti-cavity on the toothpaste because it didn't contain fluoride. That was a regulation. We figured out something, we put it together, all the literature, the research, and sent it to Health Canada. They finally agreed that the research that we showed that, yes, 20% xylitol in the toothpaste is as effective as fluoride. It is anti-cavity, which is a big thing, especially for children's toothpaste, because now you finally have anti-cavity children's toothpaste that is safe to swallow. And I say that because any toothpaste on the market clearly says on the packaging or the box or the tube, whatever, caution for children of six years of age or less, only put the size of a pea-sized amount of toothpaste and make sure they don't swallow it. And if they do, contact your poison control center. Wow. What does that tell you? What does that tell you about fluoride? Fluoride is great. It's great for anti-cavity, prevent cavity for tooth enamel and things like that. But if you start ingesting it and start getting too much, you can end up with fluorosis. This is not proven yet, but the study by a, a group of Harvard researchers showed that cities that had fluoride in the water, that they had a higher incidence of bowel cancer than cities that didn't have fluoride in the water. So they think there's a link there. Not proven yet, but. You've been advocating for Canadians, for our health, with the government, with Health Canada for all of these years. Mm-hmm. But you're also committed to education and raising awareness, and you do a lot of that as well, which I love about the potential yeah. dangers of chemicals. But I was wondering how you were interacting with local producers in, in the natural world. Could you talk a little bit about what Green Beaver is doing in terms of climate initiatives or in terms of supporting local producers? That's part of sustainability. Some people will look at it as local economy. It's more than that sustainability. For example, sunflower seed oil. Yeah, I could buy it cheaper uh, in Ukraine. But you know what? <laughs> to bring all those barrels from Ukraine to here, that creates a lot of pollution. You got to try to minimize, you know, all the transport, all those boats burning diesel and so forth. It's more of a sustainability thing. We support uh, organic farmers, obviously. 
And every time you buy organic food, you're providing a business for an organic farmer. So let's say he has 100 acres. Well, that's 100 acres that no pesticide is being spread on. That's at 100 acres that actually bees can actually breed and not being killed by pesticides. That's 100 acres that the, the earth is healthy. They showed it. The, the pesticide was all a question of uh, yield, right? How much you're going to get per acre. There's a, a the study was done in Pennsylvania. It's like a Amish culture. They don't use pesticides. And they get more bushels of corn per acre than the, the, the big producers with their pesticides and their synthetic fertilizer. Why? It's because the earth is healthy. There's all kinds of microorganisms in there creating their own natural fertilizer. So every time you buy organic, you got to think that, you know what? You're helping out. You're helping to reduce the amount of pesticides and chemicals that's being spread in our land, that's leaching in our rivers, contaminating not just the earth, the water, but also the animals that live in it feed off. And who else feeds off it? Not just the animals. When you think about the children or when you think about the Canadians of the future or the people of the future, are you hopeful? Very hopeful. Optimistic. Feel great about it. It feels like I didn't just spend the last 20 years just singing out in the middle of nowhere. Nobody heard nothing. It's happening. It's actually happening. It took a long time. I'm telling you, the first 10 years, I still, it was so slow. People weren't getting it. But now if I look at the last five years, oh my God, it's unbelievable. I mean, I didn't grow up with, with we weren't recycling in those days. Right. But then I look at uh, my son. For him, it's recycling is, yeah, yeah, that's what you do. You don't even think about it. Eating organic for him. It's like, yeah, of course, that's what you do. You don't need chemicals. Well, that doesn't make sense. I think that next generation, because again, I, I think about the millennial parents. Compared to parents 20 years ago, my research is qualitative, but I've talked to many parents. It's night and day. So their children, that will be just, for them, that will become the norm. I come back to the story when I clued in that people had accepted artificial flavors as the norm. Well, now they're going to be accepting, like, of course, you eat natural, real food. That's the norm. No more of these artificial flavors. I'm just using that as an example. But uh, yeah, very optimistic. It's like, uh, wow. I, it's so great. It's a great feeling that people are, are finally waking up. Again, like I said earlier, I think the global warming accelerated the awareness and the acceptance. Although right now, if you look at everything that's going on in the world with the, the impact of global warming and the pollution and things like that, I think in 20 years from now, we're going to be in a better position than what we are today. The air is going to be cleaner in 20 years from now than it is today. I'm sure of it. It's going to happen. It's unfortunate, but sometimes that's what people need. They need a little bit of a shock to believe to change their ways. And I think we've got that shock. We want to change. We don't want to feel that again. And not for our future generations. No, we can't leave that to them. If you want to learn more about Alain and his certified organic and cruelty-free personal care products, visit greenbeaver.com. Looking to try the revolutionary antiperspirant or toothpaste that uses the benefit of science? You can find both in retailers across Canada. You can follow along with Alain on his mission to inspire a natural way of life in a more sustainable world on Facebook at The Green Beaver or Instagram at The underscore Green underscore Beaver. This episode was brought to you by Hip Mummies. 
carefully curated wholesale merchandise for modern Canadian retail. If you want to stock your shelves with carefully vetted, proven safe and thoughtfully designed brands, or if you're looking for Canadian distribution and representation, visit hipommies.ca. Thank you for joining us this week. If you want to find out more about this episode or any of the previous episodes, please visit thecostofgoodsold.com. Have a founder story that you think we should feature? Reach out on Twitter or Instagram at ofgoodsold. My name is Jennifer Myers-Chua, and you've been listening to Cost of Goods Sold, the podcast.